The Seahawks lost for the first time in a month on Sunday, coming less than 10 yards shy of a heroic win against the Bengals. Now sitting at 3-2, and two, the Seahawks face some questions ahead of their game against the Cardinals this weekend. Here to help us answer them is beat reporter for The Athletic, Michael Sean Dugar. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my obsequious producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We're great, man. We are doing very well. Been uh, on the road for the past couple weeks, so happy to be settling in back at home. And uh, it was quite the weekend for football. The Seahawks came up a little short, but I was privileged yeah. enough to be present at a different game that took place Let's in go. Seattle. I uh, I went to UW Oregon, and it was insane. <laughs> it Dude, was, that must have been crazy. It was nuts. It was really nuts. I uh, I happened to be in Seattle because I was going to a wedding, and the wedding started at five thirty that night. And so when the game time dropped at 1230, I was thinking, might have to show up. <laughs> you uh-huh. know? And uh-huh. so I did. And so they were really uh, they were really thoughtful wrapping things up for me right at 430 so I could make it in time. So uh, shouts to you, you went to the wedding in full dogs here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was I was looking better than everybody. So it worked out great. But yeah, man, hell of a weekend. Uh, how are you? I'm doing great, my friend. You know, I was traveling this weekend, too. I was in North Carolina to celebrate the wedding of my guy, T. Frid. I had a chance to play golf at a couple of rapturous courses down there, including the McGregor Country Club, which is like just being on a different planet. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned the dub game because we finished and we got into the clubhouse and there were six minutes left in the game. So we all got to like watch the final of it uh, even from across the country and and it was awesome man and you know watched the Seahawks game over there and as a result of traveling bouncing around ended up posting the article a little later than anticipated but y'all were understanding and I think we covered a lot of important stuff in there yeah you know unfortunate how the Seahawks game turned out but there was some cosmic rebalancing going on after what went down mm-hmm. Saturday in the greater Seattle area. You know what I mean? And uh, if you're a Seattle sports fan and you could only choose a win in one of those two games, as much as we would have loved to have seen the Seahawks pull it off, like <laughs> no, no offense to all the other Seahawks fans out there, but you only give me one. I'm taking that dogs win. Yeah. And you know, you saw Michael Penix. I mean, great, great weekend for Mike's, uh, in, in Washington. <laughs> awesome. Awesome weekend for Mike's. Uh, he, you know, saw him like freestyling on the sideline right before he led that uh, game-winning drive. He was uh, channeling Seahawks legend Drew Locke in that moment right. because, I mean, as we talked about last week, Drew Locke is a confirmed dog. Maybe in a different yeah. way than uh, right. than one would think, <laughs> yeah. but he is a dog. Totally. So Totally. Yeah, well, look, even though the Seahawks lost, that game was not without its encouraging aspects. But it does raise some questions as well. We'll get to all of that with today's guest, but before we do... A quick reminder that we've got our own cigars now. In fact, I'm smoking one of them right now, which you can see if you're watching on YouTube. As many of you know by now, we partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to release these official Cigar Thought cigars, which you can order directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf, or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We'll send you the details directly. 
The feedback on these continues to be really encouraging. The number of folks saying they've really opened the door for them to get into nicer cigars, which was kind of my main goal with this release. As we've mentioned before, a box of 10 of these stogies would normally go for between $350 to $400, but our partnership allows you to get your own bundle of 10 for just $169, which is less than half of MSRP. And the cigars come with a Bovita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh, whether you have a humidor or not. We also appreciate the love y'all have given our YouTube channel, which is one of the best ways you can help cigar thoughts grow. So we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. Now, Mike, it wasn't going to last forever. The last time the Seahawks lost, you and I, we were smoking cigars and drinking old-fashioned at the Pavat Cigar Lounge in Palm Springs, yep. which seems like ages ago. Since then, the Hawks went on a three-game win streak and enjoyed a bye week before taking on a resurgent Bengals team in Cincinnati. They lost, but that game showed us a lot, both good and bad. Settling into the lounge to chop it all up with us is a man who wields one of the sharpest pens in the game. He works the Seattle beat for The Athletic, hosts the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast, and was named the best young reporter by the National Sports Media Association in 2021. He is none other than Michael Sean Dugar. My guy, thanks for coming in. Oh yeah, anytime. I always make time for you guys. How you guys doing? Yeah, we're good, man. I was over in uh, in NC, first trip to the South this weekend, and uh, got to play a little golf. Got to watch the, got to watch a very frustrating game, but uh, all in all, man, doing really well. Good, good. That was my first time in Cincinnati over the over the weekend. I learned how close it is to Kentucky. I did not know that. I'm okay. a very Seattle <laughs> Pacific Northwest guy. So when I found out my hotel was in Kentucky, I was I was worried for like ten good seconds. Like, oh damn, I booked the wrong place. <laughs> and then I kind of I Google mapped something, and I was like, oh, okay, Cincinnati's just like across this bridge. So I'm I'm okay. But I was scared for like good like ten seconds of thinking I was gonna have to like get a rental car and drive a few hours to the game or something. Now, America's funny that way. Like, I swear once every month or two, I'll learn some geographical fact about the country. I'm like, I would have had no idea yeah. <laughs> that was the case. Yeah, I just don't. So I never knew. I never I had no idea the Cincinnati Covington border or whatever was like just I mean, I literally could have walked to Cincinnati from my hotel. It That's been like wild, a man. <laughs> walk or something. I had I had no clue. It was very like I said, I was like 10 seconds on Saturday when I landed. I was like. Oh damn! Did I did I screw this up? Because you never really know. Sometimes when I when I book all this travel, where the where the hotel is at versus where the uh, airport is at, you know, I got duped in that on Pittsburgh trip a couple years ago. I booked a hotel that had airport in the name, but oh, it was yeah. named after an airport that is no longer there. <laughs> so I ended up staying very far away from everything, uh, and I had a very tough time getting an Uber back from the game because it was a Sunday oh, night God, game. The yeah. game started. And, you know, it's an East Coast Sunday night game. After I'm done riding, it's 2 a.m. Right. So the Uber drivers have to be incentivized to take you somewhere. So it's better if you stay in downtown or somewhere where they're incentivized, not in Timbuktu, where I was staying. <laughs> I was waiting outside of the Pittsburgh Stadium for like 40 minutes, you know, with the low, uh, reloading the app, hoping for a driver. So, yeah, I get real scared sometimes when I'm booking stuff. So I didn't have that problem in Cincinnati, but yeah, I thought I was going to for a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure you weren't the first one to have problem with that, that hotel. They're naming after a defunct airport. Yeah, that was once I learned. I was like, "Come on, man! They got to change the name of the airport." That's like, "Come on!" <laughs> they know that's deceptive. Yeah. Like, "Come on, man! Who moves an airport?" Too. That was crazy. I had a I had a bunch of questions questions that trip. Thankfully, I had a good time that week. 
That's good. Well, considering that you were in Cincinnati, man, I want to talk to you about the vibes after this game. I mean, look, anytime a football team loses, it's natural for fans to express some consternation, some wringing of the proverbial hands, if you will. And it doesn't even seem to matter how successful a team has been up to that point. For some folks, wins are a confirmation that things are moving in the right direction. Losses are rebukes of the franchise, and they necessitate dramatic changes in approach. But you're a lot closer to things, and you talk to these guys. Talk to me about the feelings you were getting from the team after that loss on Sunday and how they've been in the days following. Yeah, each loss is its own story in that way, depending on which side of the ball didn't deliver and why. Mm -hmm. Like for the offensive guys, what's been kind of tricky this year is like they've been bad on third downs and some other situational stuff, but they don't always know why right after the game. So they're just like blanketly frustrated. Just, I remember uh, this was after, I think it was after the first game. I remember asking Noah Fant. I forget what they were against the Rams third down. It was awful though. Um, I was like, man, what happened on third down? He's like, legitimately, I have no idea. It's not just because he wasn't paying attention or they didn't talk about it, but it's like, He's either blocking or running a route, so he doesn't know who whiffed on a protection or who didn't get their depth or whether Gino threw a good ball. It's just like, I honestly do not know. And it's a very weird space to be in because unless unless it was actively your fault, you really just don't know what to say. You know, Offensive right. linemen are basically kind of useless after the game, for lack of a better term, because they don't know. Like It's like, hey, man, I blocked my guy. I had a 350-pound dude in front of me on third down. I don't know what was going on. I yeah. blocked him. Everything after that is not really my concern in the 10 minutes after the game. So uh, I feel like it takes a couple of days. Like they got to get in the film room and, and kind of see everything that happened, see the all 22, right? Cause like you said, a lot of these guys, they're so hyper-focused on making sure they handle their assignment that it, it can be tough to be like, yeah, here's why we weren't able to execute. Yeah. And the other thing that I've had, I wouldn't say trouble navigating, but it, it took me a little bit to fill it out. It's like some guys, are good, are comfortable speaking for the whole unit, whether that's their side of the ball or their position group. Whereas some guys are like, I only know, I only feel comfortable speaking on a recorded line about what I did. And that's fair, but you have to kind of measure those guys out and feel who's who. Whereas like Tyler, for example, will speak very broadly about the offense and its its flaws. Whereas DK post game is typically more narrowly focused to like what he did or place he was directly involved mm-hmm. in. So you got to kind of feel that out. So it's important to balance. Um, like I usually don't quote Tyler after games. Uh, most people probably wouldn't notice that. Tech, I, even if he plays well, sometimes I don't. Because um, for that reason, but particularly when they play bad, uh, like yesterday, or excuse me, on Sunday, I was leaving the Bengals locker room. T- Tyler hadn't spoken yet. And someone from the PR staff, like tech star beat writer group chat, and was like, hey, Tyler speaking. And I was like, I'm good. I'm just going to go to the elevator. Because I feel like he was going to just be either too broad or, you know, it just wouldn't have kind of helped. I would rather talk to Tyler, like, in the locker room when he's watched things. Some guys right. are better for that, or Gino, or whatever. It, it just depends. So, like, specifically on Sunday, a lot of offensive guys were just like, man, that was really frustrating. Because to get that close to the goal line that many times and not even – didn't really get close to scoring after the first drive. You know, interception failed at like the f- eight twice or something like that. It was very frustrating. Whereas the defensive guys, they were frustrated too, but it was more like a yeah, we did that. You know, uh, we yeah. we that offense is good, and we held them in check after we you know tightened up in, in the first two drives. You know, I was talking with a guy today. Um, he was like, I had mentioned to him that I looked up when the Bengals scored in the second half. 
and it was on a drive where they got zero yards. You know, it was following yep. Geno's pick. I, I knew that, but it, going back and looking at it, it's like, man, they had a zero-yard scoring drive. That's how good the the the, uh, the Seahawks defense was. So defensive guys yesterday were just like, yeah, we could have played better, but at the same time, it was like, yo, we're this is our first full game that Jamal finished since 2021. Like, look at the product. Like, we're, we're going to be something. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I'm I'm stoked to talk about the defense specifically, the impact that Jamal had on it. Uh, but I mean, you nailed it, man. I mean, every game has its own little storyline, and there's no question that the story of the day was how many times the Seahawks came close to winning that game. I mean, anytime you make four second half trips to the red zone in a one score loss and only come away with three points, that's gonna be the focal point. Talk to me about Seattle's inability to score in those situations on Sunday and whether you think it's indicative of a larger issue. I do think it's indicative of a larger issue. Um, They were an okay red zone team. They were like behind league average, I want to say, coming into that game. Now they're like 20-something. It's like legitimately not good. They were 28th last year, I believe. So uh, last year's numbers factoring in is why I'm like, all right, this, this is a bigger issue. I think physicality was a problem. Uh, in the Bengals game, not just up front. I think a really good example is the Cam Taylor-Britt pass breakup on Tyler on third and five. Like, that's just, I mean, that's a great rep by Taylor-Britt. And he had a bunch of great reps in the game. But, like, that one was, hey, look. This is the one right at the pylon that you're talking about. Yes, yeah. It was third and five. I think that leads to their only points in the red zone. They kick a field goal after that. Third and five from, like, the, yeah, third and five. Yeah, third and goal from the five, excuse me. Yeah, and it's just a great rep, and it, it speaks – and the reason why I think it's an example of how it also speaks to a larger issue because it speaks to skill set. After the game, I think it was either in one of my colleague's stories at The Athletic or one of my former colleague, Jay Morrison, who also covers the Bengals now for someone else. They were telling me after the game, Taylor Britt was like, the reason we – on that particular play, he was like, I know that they're not going to throw it up to Tyler Lockett, nor do I know that it's not going to be like a fade ball in that instance from outside the numbers – so he's probably only going to run one or two routes, you know, from right. that depth. He's probably going to run coming back to the pylon. If you look at it, he sits on it perfectly. Uh, I think Mike Hilton or someone else mentioned something similar about how DK's routes in the red zone are only going to be so many things because it's not like they just throw fades to him like like a D-hop or Julio or something like the other guys, his size, Kyle well, Johnson, stuff like that. That's super interesting. And and if I remember correctly, DK wasn't on the field for that play he, he wasn't he, he was had got hit stri- in the ribs or say like the hip yeah he like was that. he was dealing with that on that deep ball where he landed kind of awkward and they were looking at his ribs his hip and so yeah he wasn't even on the field for that whole kind of series of downs right there which makes things easier on a defense also yeah and i so i think but even when he's on the field the skill set thing is relevant to me and it's me and chris kid i've talked about this on our podcast only because DK kind of invites that criticism when pregame he does like the crop top slow-mo warm-ups where he's doing the one hand Odell thing and the pylon and it's just like that's something we have like literally never seen him do in a game granted you don't see a lot of dudes do it in a game but like for him to be that big that athletic you know with those strong hands and for like the high point end zone thing to just kind of not be part of his game at all outside of like one catch over Shaquille Griffin in 2021, it's it's kind of frustrating if you're like a Seahawks fan. You're like, dude, what's the point of being 6'4 and big and strong as hell if okay. you can jump I'm, high if I'm, you're not jumping over people? I'm glad you mentioned this because I've been curious. Is that because the team doesn't trust DK to go up and make that catch or is it just not a part of their 
offensive play set when they get down close to the end zone. Yeah, it seems like it's it's more of like a preference thing for the whole offense, regardless of coordinator. I haven't really gotten a good feel for the answer to that because he can clearly do it. Like I said, he did it against – there's a picture yeah. of him jumping over Shaquille Griffin, essentially, um, in the Jags game in 2021. He had a pretty good ball in the Falcons game that was somewhat similar last year. But, yeah, it's a, it's a strange, strange thing. I think part of it is DK doesn't have a super strong history of going up and getting the ball. Like even he, mm-hmm. He's a big body catch uh, guy. He, he goes up sometimes. It's very inconsistent. What – Probably the best one you've seen. There's two. Uh, the Philly game in the playoffs, I think he goes up and ends the game on like a 50-yard bomb or something like that. He goes up and gets that. Yeah. And then this one didn't count, but they ran like a flea flicker against the Niners on the road last year. Um, and he jumped over, I think, like two guys to catch that. But I think Abe Lucas was like a, an eligible downfield or something to, yeah, to negate the that. play. But if you like, I, I think I ended up tweeting that clip like, whoa. Throw it up to DK more often, but yeah, you just don't see it. I just feel like take one shot a game. Just if nothing else, put it in the in the defenders' minds. Like this is an option. It's not like Geno struggles with the deep ball. Yeah, and I think the other thing that was that has plagued them not as much this year, but particularly in the Bengals game was up front. They were just getting worked. Man, like in the red in the run game, it was just the the Bengals were just taking it to them. They. The Bengals looked like in that game, and they have a little bit of a history of this too in the last couple of years. They look like some old Seahawks bend don't break defenses where, all right, cool, you can get inside the 20, but this is where you're going to have to strap up and be a man right here, all 11 of y'all, because all 11 of us is about to strap up. So if, if y'all got one dude that don't, we're here. Yeah. Whereas Trey Hendrickson was ready, Logan Wilson was ready, their other linebacker was, they were just ready, um, reader up front, uh, their, their uh, tackle. All their 11 were just ready each play in the red zone to strap up and do their thing. Um, and they, they seem like they took offense to DK's play style, uh, maybe because of what he said about Jamar and uh, Spoon, but Cam Taylor Britt took it as a challenge. Like I'm about to shadow 14 and show him what ball is about. Um, and they, they had actually a good battle. It wasn't like one guy beat the other guy, no. but in the red zone, I think the, not, I think I know the Bengals got the best of Seattle in the secondary and up front. Yes. And it wasn't a scheme thing. It felt like just being, more physical than the other team. Well, that, okay, so let's talk about that because when you look at the offense as a whole, there's obviously a lot of things to sort through. And and I want to focus on what I do believe to be the biggest reason the Seahawks lost, and that was the offensive line and specifically at the right tackle position. And look, as I wrote on Sunday, I appreciate how interconnected football is, and I never want to place the blame for a loss at one player's feet, right? Like lots of guys could have done things better in that game. That being said, it's hard to overstate the effect that the constant pressure from the right side had on Geno Smith, especially late in that game. Now, Curran was playing through an ankle injury, and what's basically been a backup O-line for the last month has done pretty well overall. But the dam finally broke this week, didn't it? Yeah, and it, Phil Haynes had a rough game, too, on the left side. So then, yeah, he so did. then you got the pressure from – you can't really step up. Geno can't because now you got it coming from the left – and coming from the right on the fourth and goal, he took a sack on it. Like perfect example. Even if he wanted to step up because of the pressure coming from his right, uh, well, I think Cam Sample got right by Phil and say, like, "All right, well now we're now we're screwed." Uh, I think yeah, I was critical was of Gino in the moment on that play, and then I saw the replay. I was like, I, I don't know what he was supposed to do. Honestly, on that. that's the whole game, really. I walking to the locker room and walking out of it, I was like, "Yeah, that was not Gino's best day," um, and it wasn't his best. But then I watched the film and I'm like, "Oh." Gino, Gino had no shot on some of these. Like he was getting knocked, or even on plays he was completing, he was getting smoked. I think Curhan gave up like five qu- quarterback hits on Friday. That's 
really yeah. tough to he had only given up one in his previous like three starts and so that puts that number in context he had a really really rough day to the point where before the final final fourth down of the game i think sam hubbard goes to bj hill and he's like dude i'm about to beat this guy and end the game i mean they, they run a stunt anyway but sam yeah. before that was like yo I'm, I'm i can just beat this guy let's let me just go end it and BJ is like, now let's run this this stunt, and then they both end up beating him. So yeah, it was it was a really rough day uh, on on the right side, and that wasn't just in the. I'm I'm with you on usually not facing things on one guy, except in situational football, because so much of third down right. and red zone is yeah we're a team, but it's like all right, you win against the tackle, or excuse me, you win against the end, you win against the nose. You win against the three technique. You win against the other end. You win against the corner, and then we'll score. Like everyone does, have to win a one-on-one in a lot of situational football. Uh, so I, I hey, think you can man. you can place that blame for this game when you're talking about situational stuff for sure. I I think I think so. And you know when when you mention that, my mind immediately goes to a play I'll remember forever, and that was in the Super Bowl that the Bengals were in against the Rams, and on that final fourth down play. They had a deep ball drawn up to Jamar Chase, who smoked the corner. I mean, he was wide open for the hero moment, game-winning Super Bowl touchdown. And Aaron Donald just whipped the two dudes in front of him and got the sack before you know Burrow could even make the throw. And, and you're right. It's like, okay, yeah, there were 120 other plays in that game, but no play had higher leverage in terms of win probability than that. And one dude winning his battle ended up being the entire difference. Yeah, and there was a, there's a lot of Russell Wilson comeback games like that. The Vikings in 2020 stands out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a blitz on one of those. And if Travis Homer doesn't pick it up on like fourth and ten or something, Goat. Russ is cooked Goat. and the game is over. Uh, so <laughs> I think I think that's the play he ends up throwing a, a fade ball to DK uh, to keep that drive alive. But yeah, it's every so often it just really comes down to just one play. One guy winning a rep, whatever it is. If you watch every Super Bowl run, if you watch like the NFL films breakdown that comes out later, yeah, you get to see all of these like high leverage moments where the it's one point. running back picking up a blitz. Yeah, one guy winning a one on one on the outside or something like that, or one guy making a shoestring tackle. It all, it all, it's situational football is really where that stands out. And first and ten for like ninety percent of the game, it really is like scheme, you know, leverage and all this other chemistry stuff. But really when the game's on the line, it's just like, hey man, just beat the guy in front of you and we'll win the game. And that just was not happening for Seattle in the, in the red zone or on most of their obvious passing downs on Sunday, honestly. Yeah. So I mean, we've identified the issue here. What's the solution? I mean, it doesn't sound like Abe Lucas is ready yet. Jason Peters sounds like he's been working his way back into playing shape. Who's starting a right tackle on Sunday, you think? Yeah, that's going to be tough. I would probably put Jason there. Um, you could put Stone there if, if, if you'd like. He's been okay there. The Andy Dickerson, the Seahawks O-line coach, has a pretty good track record of when he gets the week to work with the dude, guy is better. Now, if you just throw a guy yeah. in there, there's been some really bad reps. That, that's kind of consistent across the league, though, to be fair. But Andy yeah. has a good I mean, run. the difference between the Rams and the Lions game is, like, a perfect example. Yeah, exactly. When you give a guy, like, some time to, all right, here's what we're going to do. Let's watch some film on the guys you're going to be rushing against. You know, it's just all that stuff. So I would probably go with Jason if he's healthy enough, not probably, probably Stone. I just think you got to try someone else there, particularly if Jake's ankle is still bothering him i was looking for solutions you know in the story that i got coming out thursday morning the solution one run the ball 
Like if you can run the ball better, then it, you know Gino doesn't get smoked. The other one, and I was surprised because the film bore this out, but I didn't think the numbers would league wide. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba is like a top fifteen receiver and like yards after catch per reception. Uh, some of some of that is there's some funny yards in there, but like he can do it. And yep. I think leaning on him more and just leaning on the idea that we don't have to throw it to the sticks all the time. I think that can perhaps mitigate some of the issues on third down in particular, but maybe in the red zone as well, where, all right, it's third in seven to 10, which I believe Aaron Rodgers just recently said is like the hardest uh, place to score from, which I, I would agree. Like, all right, maybe we don't have to get the ball into the end zone right away. I can dump it five yards and let Ken Walker do the rest. Let Charbonnet do the rest. Let DK do the rest. Let Jackson Smith and Jigba do the rest. I think that's probably the way to go to mitigate any damage that you have from a shaky O-line because they can do it. They I've seen them scheme some of that stuff up. They schemed it up perfectly, I thought, as, as the coverage helped this. But it was like third in a million, and Jackson Smith and Jigba catches a quick one from D, uh, Gino right away and picks up 13. So right. now it's like a fourth and manageable. Jack, Zach Charbonnet caught a quick one. Uh, for like three yards, but then picked up the extra seven to convert on whatever, like it was like third and six or something like that. So like you can do it. That's probably what I would lean on. The only caveat there is you can't run a screen pass. It's like the one thing you <laughs> no. can't do. You just have to scheme up a guy to win a one-on-one, uh, which they, they got the guys to do it. I think pretty much everyone but Tyler is a fairly reliable like yak guy in the terms of physically making a guy miss, not just a juke. I'm talking about running through someone. So I, th- I think that's got to be the plan on obvious passing downs until the defense comes up and adjusts. Yeah, man. And and look, whenever the Seahawks lose, I expect to see some wailing and gnashing of teeth, but I was surprised to see how much steam a couple of storylines got, at least on Twitter, in the 48 hours after the game ended. I'm sure you saw it too. First one I want to get your thoughts on has to do with DK Metcalf, who picked up another personal foul for ragdolling a defensive back after the whistle. He said he wasn't trying to be cheap, but that he just hadn't heard the whistle and he was hitting all the way through what he thought was the end of the play, like he almost always does. Pete Carroll even had his back after the game saying essentially the same thing, but that didn't stop a large contingent of fans to act like they were over DK's antics, that he was overrated or a baby or a prima donna, some even going so far as to want him traded to get his attitude off the team. Bro, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Like it's it's my personal opinion that any strong inclination to trade Metcalf is reflective of a deep misunderstanding of real football value. And I think it sells Metcalf's positive impacts on the game woefully short. Am I missing something here? Yeah, I think, and we talked about this on our, uh, our Seahawks Man to Man podcast a little bit. A wide receiver one, there's a few ways to define what that looks like. One of the ways I do it, and this is a big thing for me, is how does the de- who does the defense care the most about? Like, And mm-hmm. with the Seahawks... Even if you think Tyler's more talented, I don't even really feel like that's it's it's fine. Like that's a coin flip to me, just talking about talent. But when teams want someone shadowed, they shadow DK. Where's the safety going? Right. It's going over the top of 14. Like that, that you can see you. the get and that that is a lot of value. That's a lot of value. You can't always see it in the broadcast copies. And sometimes it doesn't even matter on the film, depending on the opponent. Like, man. Teams work very hard to make sure 14 doesn't run by them. They really do. Yeah. There's so much value in that. There's been some games where, yeah, that safety is 20 yards off the ball because number 14 is lined up outside the numbers against a corner they don't trust. So 
Um, and it opens up so much else. Yes, it really does. That's And there's just not many guys who do that. So when I look at a wide receiver one, I think there's value in that. However, I do think there are very fair criticisms of uh, DK's play style, which if I was just like purely fan, I, I could see to some extent, like I mentioned, like, he is six, he's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, about 225, I think is what he plays at, something in that range with 4'3 speed. And you don't feel it the same way you feel other fast guys like uh, i've been paying attention to the dolphins the last couple of years and like you feel their speed now they have different speed they have a lot of track speed over there but dk just ran what 10 something uh in the 100 mm-hmm. against other track guys mm-hmm. so like he can be that fast but you just don't really feel it um you don't really feel is that it. a scheme thing though because like that dolphins offense is all about getting the ball to these guys in space do you think like i mean if we were to do the hypothetical and put dk in place of Tyreek Hill or in place of Jalen Waddle. Are we seeing more of that track speed from him? Yeah, I think so. I think scheme's a big, big part of it. Like I think it took it took a while for them to run. One of my favorite plays from the game on Sunday was like Jackson Smith and Jackson Smith and Jigba on a dig um behind a linebacker. I, I tweeted the clip uh Tuesday night. Like I thought they'd be running that from week one, like spamming it the yeah. way the Rams spammed it to Puka. Like, it doesn't take that long to install. They threw it to Puka and Tutu all through week one, the Rams did. Um, yeah. So I think scheme, particularly playing with Russ, uh, yards after catch is a big timing thing. I don't just think Russ wasn't on time uh, a lot in the area where you get a lot of those uh, yak plays, which is over the middle. Like, Russ could throw there, but it'd be some scramble stuff. But Geno's not like that. Geno's standing there and hit that dig. Um, and I just I don't know why they don't go to that more often because it's not like DK is afraid to go over the middle. Like DK is not afraid of anything. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a scheme thing for sure, but I wish they would kick that because they have fast guys. I'd be using Ken Walker like that too, man. Ken is probably, right. Ken might be the fastest dude with the ball in his hands on the team. And I feel like there's ways to get him in space too, that take advantage of that. Um, and you just, you just don't really see it. So I get some of the frustrations w- with DK because in some of those plays too, whether DK is, has a point or not, and this is kind of my thing with his penalties, because uh, he told me after the game, he was like, I said, did, did the guy push you? Is that why, Or did he say something to you? Is that why you pushed him? He's like, no. It wasn't even like a, you know, you can kind of tell when someone's trying to pull your leg on something. This was a very genuine DK. He was like far removed from the game. He had showered, got dressed and everything. And he was like, no. Problem with that was, here's what happened. I couldn't hear the whistle. That, that happened in the Giants game too. I told the ref about it. Like, I can genuinely feel like he believes that story. And then forget who I was talking to after the game. But I was just like, man, it really doesn't matter if he has a point or not. It doesn't matter if you heard the whistle because number fourteen on the Seahawks has lost benefit of the doubt, for better or worse. Sure. He just has. That's just kind of how it goes. Whether you're there's players who that happens to, and Dominican Sue, Vontez perfect, you know. Uh, uh, Pac-Man Jones, for whatever reason, guys like that have lost the benefit of the doubt. So I think it's 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 on them to act accordingly, to realize, I use this analogy in the media room just, just today. I said, it doesn't matter if a guy pulls out a gun and sticks it at DK's head, and then DK punches the DB. If the ref only sees DK punch the DB, the DK is getting a 15-yard penalty for right. punching the guy, and the DB will get nothing. Is that fair? No. That's the reality of being number 14 on the Seahawks. So I just think that DK has got to act accordingly in that regard, whether he hears whistles or whether the other guy punched him first. You know, I coach flag football and Pullman for a couple of years. I just tell my kids the same thing. I don't care what if, if little Billy pushed you or whatever. You can control whether you push him back. So that, that's kind of what 
the next step for DK is it's like, dude, it doesn't matter what someone else did to you or sometimes whether you're even in the right. You just know that you've lost the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so act accordingly. Well, have you guys considered, yeah. you talk about Vontez Perfect and Pac-Man Jones. What if DK was just paying homage to the OGs and Cincy? He was just trying to make a play for his guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, so so it, it does beg the question. I mean, like, all right, we got fans who got a problem with it. You know, you cover the team. You're seeing some things he could do better. Inside that building, do you think the team has a problem with how DK plays? I don't think they have a problem with how he plays. Um, I think part of you got to look at when some of these penalties are too. Like some of these are legitimately on plays where he doesn't have the ball and is blocking the hell out of somebody. And as much as that can go over the edge, a lot of coaches would rather have to bring that down than have to coach that into you. You know, like they, they yes. would rather you right. have it's, to it's, pull you off of a guy. And be it's like, the hey, other stop. side of the DK coin, right? Like you, you hit him on a little six yard stick route and he bullies through two guys and picks up 12 yards in the first down. Like, Acting like that's a switch that just needs to get turned on and off from play to play is is a tall order given how violent the game is. And when you are 14 on the Seahawks and you do have that target on you, either from the other team, the other team's fans, the officials, like, yeah, you want to be cognizant of it. But I think there's a risk also of losing part of what makes DK such a good player if you try and tone that down. Yeah, and I think, and I was just talking to, to this about what, uh, um, how do I want to describe him? Someone else around the league who, not affiliated with the Seahawks, but around the league. Um, like one of the values of DK, um, despite him not really, his superpowers aren't like route running or catch radius. Um, you know, he, like he's an elite straight line guy, which is a little bit of a limiting speed, uh, a limiting like superpower. It's like Deshaun Jackson type sure. superpower, which is not like, some other guys are route runner and whatever, high pointing stuff or what. But the, how DK also brings value is he's a very, very good blocker and willing blocker. So you can run stuff for other guys he loves to it. his side. So you can take advantage of his gravity in that way. Like if we want to run something that way or throw a little quick thing to his way, we know 14 might throw his guy into the first row. Um, yeah, remember, he's the son right. of an offensive lineman too. So like he gets a kick out of the violence of the, point. of the game in that regard too. So he kind of takes on his dad's persona in that way. So I, he, there is value in that because you don't want some guy who just runs a bunch of good routes, but it's like, all right, we need you to crack this safety on this particular run. Can you come do it? DK's like, hell yeah, I've been waiting for us to call that play. I'm about to tear this safety <laughs> See, up. I, I like that, man. I like that. I'm, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm willing to take the occasional personal foul. And I know it's, you know, a lot of people, oh, he does it every week. Look, man, he has nine personal fouls in five years. All right. Like, I know it seems like more because it's such a big deal every time it happens. One of them was a celebration penalty. So he has eight of these plays in five years. So let's not act like he's doing it every single week. Yeah, and I, and I think I tweeted this, I think, after they lost to the Niners in the Thursday night game last year when DK, like, squared up with Dre Greenlaw and was going to fight him. Every team yeah. needs a couple of guys who are willing to do that. Like, you, do, yeah. you, you need that because, man, football, I wish I could report. I wish these guys could like openly talk about what is said to them on the field. Like it yeah. is not a bunch of pleasantries. Now the pleasantries get clipped. Nobody sometimes. would have a sponsorship deal no. if that stuff came to light. No one. No <laughs> one. Like I would pay a lot of money for uh forget who the Seahawks TV affiliate is that's in charge of the mic dumps, but like for their like uncut footage. 
Because it still would be some of the <laughs> yeah. most grossest. Totally. Everyone would get quote unquote canceled and everything. Like yep. as much as as, as football's progressed a little bit, man, nah, man, it gets real old school barbarian y like bad, offensive in there. And not just at like receivers and DBs in the trenches. These guys are talking crazy to each other, man. So it's not just uh, there's some pleasantries in there. Some guy you see some guys helping each other up shaking their hands you know good tap on the helmet hey man good tackle nice play like there's some of that too but there's also some of like hey man i'm about to come rip your throat out you yep. know like so yeah you might get some pushing and shoving after the play if a dude threatens to kill you or something right. like that like i think that's really fair to get a sample of dk uh it's on youtube still i think darius slay on live after dk hit him for like a buck seven i saw this against the eagles yeah like darius slay kind of gives you an example of what that trash talk is like particularly from dk man so uh yeah, and imagine all the nasty DBs we know about in the league. Now put them in front of that. Like, of course you're gonna get fireworks. And I think you asked me about what the guys think in the building. I do, I do think that they understand the like, the 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 trade off of like having a guy like DK. It just only becomes too far. Like after the Green Bay game, like in 2021, right. that was unacceptable because he punched the guy and got thrown out of the game. Yep. It's like, dude, you can be physical all you want, but as soon as you get thrown out, you're no longer helping the team, and that's your job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think Bobby talked to him after that game. So like, it has to get to that point. If you're just pushing the guy every once in a while after a play, like, hey man, they'll, they'll take that. Man, it's war down there. Well, and let's not lose sight of what he's been on the field. I'm I'm talking statistically, right? Like, yeah, there's things that we wish he would do better. It's just because the talent that he has, you, you want to project that to its one percentile outcome, you know, and or 99th percentile outcome where he's just dominating every facet. And fact of the matter in the NFL is there's like five dudes on the planet that can just do that all the time. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't been great. And, you know, we had Danny Kelly on a couple weeks ago, and he talked about how Metcalf ranks near the top all time in catches, yards, touchdowns for any player this early in his career. Like you look through the first four years of a player's career, he's top five in all of that. You adjust that for age because he came out super young, and it's like it it's with a bunch of Hall of Famers. So, I mean, we can't lose. There's frustrations, but let's not lose sight of what he's actually producing. He's 25 years old. Like, he's putting up big-time numbers still. Yeah, he's still a really productive uh, player. This year, not as much, but then again, the whole offense is not as productive. You know, Tyler's numbers are down, too, especially with the average depth of target stuff. So it's not even just just him Gino's numbers are down right so yep. like yeah I mean he, look offensive numbers are way down this year across, across the, the league, league. Yeah, like this, yeah this is not just a, a Seattle thing well it's it, it's it's kind of funny though everything's down across the league except for South Beach oh my like God, every number man. is like historically low for everything it's it but it's like hold on except for Miami no like, they're like breaking Miami's every record like breaking <laughs> every every statistical record it's like yeah this is the lowest that the league-wide trend's been since 2000 whatever and then it's like hold on except for Miami because right. they're like the best offense since whatever it's it's kind of funny to look at what Mike McDaniel is doing down there and, and especially in the context of how low all the numbers are while he's in South Beach, you know, just killing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, since we're talking about the offense, there was another notion being bandied about the last few days. And that was whether Geno Smith was still the right guy for the job. And my buddy, Kenneth Arthur, who writes a daily newsletter about the Hawks called Seaside Joe, he came out and basically said, Geno is not the guy. And essentially the team should look to move on from him sooner rather than later. I personally disagree with that very strongly. But then I saw a poll on field goals with what I thought were, frankly, preposterous results. 
Mike, you got that poll handy? I do. So there were about 5,400 people polled, and it was basically a 50-50 split on people that want to bench Gino. There were 50% no, 22% yes, they should straight up bench him after Sunday, and 28% <laughs> yes, if he struggles again over the next week or so. The yes actually outweighed the no by about uh, 30, 35 votes. So... Ooh. Yeah, man, I'm yeah. I'm I'm imagining I'm imagining Drew Locke in that Cincinnati Bengals game with that combination of coverage and pass rush and the idea that he was gonna win that game where Geno couldn't is hilarious to me. I mean, MSD, am I taking crazy pills here? Is there actually anyone inside that team building that thinks Geno ain't it? No, I, I don't think so, man. It's and guys in there like Drew too, so it's not even just like it's just not it's 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 having faith in Gino while still thinking, yeah, Drew's good too. I mean, look, Drew got in his first uh, series and led him on like a seventy-five yard touchdown drive. Like they yep. think Drew can play, but man, Gino is doing some really good work considering the circumstances. And I also think, and a lot of a lot of fan bases are um, maybe siloed is the word in this way. They don't understand quarterback play relative to what else is out there. Where whereas, yeah. nah, man. I'd be looking up these stats, and boy, it could be a lot worse than Geno. Like, if you don't realize, and you're a Seahawks fan, go watch a Pittsburgh game. Or you got to watch mm-hmm. a Pittsburgh game. Go to Twitter, type in Matt Canada, and scroll. And you will have a right. time. The same thing in in, in, in <laughs> New England right now. Um, the, the Jets, it's not as loud uh, right now because, like, they're, they're trying to just rally around Zach because they realize – Ain't nothing else we can oh, do. Man, Atlanta, point. New Orleans, Carolina. I mean, yeah, there's so many teams. They just can't. It feels like a miracle if they score. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Particularly like New England and Pittsburgh are really bad. Really, mm-hmm. really, really bad in terms of offense. It's it's really yucky. Um, so I think yeah, look at a, a relative to the rest of the league. Man, Gino is doing a lot of good stuff, and he's making the right decisions too. And I understand fans will always know that fans don't get to watch film. I do take some of that with a grain of salt. Like I said, I, I walked I walked out of the locker room thinking, yeah, man, Gino stunk up the joint. Then I got back to my hotel, watched the I rewatched the broadcast copy, watched the film on Monday. And I was like, oh, nah, Gino played fine. Like the, the JSN interception was bad. Um, missing JSN was bad. Uh, I think he missed that DK one other yeah. time. Um, and then you go back and look and like, man, he dropped a dime to DK that DK dropped. He dropped a dime to Tyler. Um, that uh, Tyler caught, you know, after DK shoved uh, Taylor Britt. Like there was some really good plays where Gino, if Gino was any less mobile, he would have taken seven sacks uh, in that game. You know, right? It, w- it could have got way worse. Gino's actually very good pocket mover, very aware of. All right, I gotta get rid of this ball because I'm about to die. Uh, situation. He tries to hold it to the last second, but he also did a really good job and has. Uh, most of the season in deciding, hey, man, I got to get rid of this thing. Where can I go with it? Um, and then when the O-line breaks down, credit to Gino, he gets up there and says it was his fault. There's very few things in that game <laughs> that were Gino's fault. Like, he took all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, That's I the other him. thing, man. You want to you wanna move on from Gino. You better hope that next guy can not only outplay someone who's been a top 10 quarterback since he took over as starter in Seattle, but who's got that CEO mentality after the game. Yeah, I think that goes a long way, man. Uh, John Boyle, who runs their team site, was kind of asking guys about that today. Um, I already know that guys love that about Gino because that, that's important, man. You don't want to get up there pointing fingers. You don't want to get up there spewing cliches and stuff either. You get up there and say, hey, I got to play better. Like that's because 
So like I said, some guys only want to focus on how they did. And that's that's Gino. Gino knows good and damn well that protection broke down on fourth down. That's why he took a sack. Yeah. But he can't get up there and say, yeah, man, Jay Kern was 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 uh, didn't have his best game or Phil didn't have his best game. He'll get up there and say, I got to do better. You know, it was funny on Sunday. Um, I had already talked to DK about the interception. Right? He was like, that was my fault. That was not on Gino at all. Right? He said that pretty unequivocally. And I go into the interview room. Gino gets asked about it, and Gino's like, yeah, that man, I can't do that. I put the ball in harm's way. That's on me. And I was like, I love that. Like, I was like, exactly. Everybody, you know, point point thumbs. Like, say it was it was you. Because um, reality, reality was that play is on both of them. But even if it wasn't, go ahead and lie. Just take the blame. You, sometimes you got to you gotta do that. Because the minute you go up there as the quarterback and start pointing fingers, is that's when people start wanting to bench you. Right. Um, it's not even the play. Sometimes it's like if you can't take accountability – um, or sometimes just take one for your O-line because your O-line ain't going to get no credit when you throw for 300 yards and a win. So take the take the blame, too, when when they fall short. And then on, on Monday in film, you guys can cut each other out or whatever. But if in front of these cameras, go ahead and take the blame. Like I, I think it's hard to find guys who can perform well and do that part, too, because that's hard. Again, go look in New York. Uh, and see how that's going uh, with, with Zach Wilson after some of his games last year. That that was awful. Uh, damn near got him benched. One of the things that I always try and do, and it's it's tough because I'm writing right after the game. I haven't had a chance to go back and watch anything. I'm I'm writing off of my feelings and interpretations of what I just saw. But I always try and step back and, and keep perspective. And, like, there's a lot of teams that are down a lot worse than Seahawks are. Mm-hmm. And, like, even zooming out from Gino, I mean, this is still a team that's eighth in scoring in the NFL. They're seventh in EPA per play. Like, this is a top quartile offense, even after that game. Yeah, uh, I was surprised to see some of those numbers still so high. But then I look back, and it's like, man, Gino was also pretty decent in that game. Threw for, threw for 300, had some explosives, manipulated the pocket really well. Um, and that was despite them not being able to run the ball. I, for, I forgot about how bad the run numbers were. I think yeah. Ken ran for like 50-something yards on like 19 carries. It was a very bad uh, run day for the for him and Zach. The, well, Zach's numbers, I think, might have been okay. I can't remember. He only got like two carries. But the point is... Yeah, he only had four touches in the whole game. Yeah, G- Gino's numbers were in spite of um, a lot of circumstances around him. And then I felt a lot better about... Because uh, I get nervous sometimes. I'll have these like... I feel really good about something. And then Pete will get up there and say something else. I'm like, damn it. Okay, then I got to go back and revisit. <laughs> Not this week. I watched the film, and I felt like, oh, Gino did fine. These guys couldn't block. And then what do you know? Pete Gill gets up there on his radio show and his Zoom, and is like, yeah, man, Gino, how he was under some fire, called out Phil pretty much, called out Jay Kern. And I'm like, okay, cool. When me and Pete are on the same page in that regard, I knew I was watching the right thing. Like, I don't even think Pete said a bad word about Gino uh in that game other than missing jsn right. even talk right. about the interception which is which you know pete he's all about the ball because pete knows man that was hard it's hard to play when your team just gets like muscled around not only up front but like i said the dbs were they were winning their one-on-ones with uh seattle's receivers a lot in that game too yeah yeah man and then you go to the other side of the ball I and mean, we haven't even talked about the defense yet and you know they played the goddamn asses off for the second straight week. I mean, they gave up touchdowns on the first two drives. I think Burrow completed like 15 passes right out of the jump, but they basically turned Burrow and the Bengals into the New York Giants after that. What are they doing that's allowing them to be so successful of late? They're they're playing in sync really well, and you can see when they're in sync and when they're not. Like a really good example, and I may write this this week, 
was like the I think the first third down the Bengals had. Um, the Seahawks are about to blitz. You can tell Jamal's at the line, Bobby's at the line, and then Joe Burrow motions Joe Mixon out to the flat. Bobby points at Joe. Jamal points at Joe. No one covers Joe. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure Daryl Taylor is supposed to in that instance because um, he's the furthest uh, uh, outside the line of serve. He's like on the far right of the uh, the Bengals right. offense. Like I, I would guess that, that DT is supposed to go get that, um, and he doesn't. And then there's like pretty much no other breakdowns like that the rest of the game. Everything is like when guys point, guys are someone's there, someone rotates. Um, there was just so much of that um, most of the game, not not just after the first two drives. After the first two drives, though, I do think what happened was, and I haven't I haven't been told this, but you can just kind of feel it on film. They were just like, Coach, you know we can cover Jamar and T, right? Like we can. Um, <laughs> and the response was, oh, All right, cool. Let's see if we can do it. And then they did. Because they weren't, oh my they weren't God, playing they did them too. like they thought they could. If they, I, my guess would be, this, this is a guess. I haven't. No one's told me this. But my guess would be they went in thinking, all right, man, we got to make sure T and Jamar don't kill us. Let's play that accordingly. Kind of like how teams play the Seahawks. And afterward, I could see somebody going up and being like, man, just let us play our game. Kind of like that scene in Glory Road when uh, Bobby Joe Hill's character like un- lets them unlock their game. I, I could see something like that. And then after that, you see a bunch of like single high stuff. Trey Brown being trusted one on one with T. Tariq being trusted one on one with Jamar, and it just worked. You didn't see a lot of that in the Bro, first the couple. Bro, the corners, of the corners were unreal in this game. And one on ones too, no help, man. The Tariq gave up the back shoulder, um, and I actually did talk to him about that. And it makes sense because that was an offside play. It was a free play, mm-hmm. and teams. T- typically just chuck it on a free play sure so he was playing it like a go ball which that makes sense but jamar and joe are so locked in that they know that the defense knows that so then they know the call of back shoulder like that's just kind of hard to to defend when you perfect pass is going to be perfect coverage every time yeah and you see that never happened again right (laughs) the rest of the game because reek reek was on it you know and then trey brown played about the the two deep balls that trey played the one to t and third down end the game and the pick on jamar is like that's teach tape. Yep. That's teach tape on the back shoulder, and that's teach tape playing through the hands against a bigger receiver. Like they, you could you could feel the mandate was, oh, our guys can cover their guys, and once you decide that, like the Bengals came in with that mindset, took the Seahawks a couple drives. Once you decide that, and you guys can execute it, oh man, like this wasn't a crazy pass rush day. I think this was a secondary day, and you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see a lot of those because this is about as multiple as the the Seahawks have been in the secondary like they they were good obviously in the legion of boom they were as great as you can get this unit is different it's like you might have quandre you know up you might have jamal up you might have quandre deep you might have jamal deep uh like draymond jones's sack quandre rolled to the line of scrimmage uh trey brown's pick quandre rolled down jamal was deep uh the third down stop to tyler boyd quandre rolled down and julian love was deep while jamal was uh rolled down on the other side it's like you get all this stuff um it's just so much man clint clinton k scott their secondary coach probably just sit there every every like tuesday night or whatever when making the game plan sitting there looking at each other like <laughs> we are about to wreck these yeah. boys because of how many toys they have in the secondary how many guys can do so much different stuff having spoon and jamal is just working so well in the sense that because you know with all this motion the strength changes like where yep. the passing strength is and stuff like that like if let's say the nickel's supposed to blitz on jamal's side 
but then someone goes in motion, it's like, oh shoot, now Spoon's got to cover that. Uh, now Jamal's got to cover that. Spoon, you can blitz now. It works because if you blitz Jamal or Spoon, you might get a sack. Like there's so many interchangeable parts with overlapping skill sets. It's man, there's a lot to work with for Clint right now. I mean, the Seahawks been playing zone almost more than anybody in the league. Do you think that because of what they were able to do, basically the final three quarters of this last game? We're going to see a little bit more man coverage, a little bit more trust in these guys in order to try and free up the rest of the dudes on this defense. I think it's still going to depend on, you know, who they have. Like it takes a lot to trust your corners against T and Jamar, like T and Jamar cold, man. Like I was looking up Jamar's best game. This was after the Cardinals game that he had a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh, that probably had to be his best game. And I look it up and he's like hit three touchdowns a couple other times. He had like 260 yeah. yards against the Chiefs one year. I was like, yeah. oh my God, this dude is insane. <laughs> yeah, he's an alien. <laughs> yeah, man. I didn't, I, you know, I, they're in the AFC and they don't play them that much. So I wasn't really familiar. And I was like, oh my God, Jamar is, that dude, that dude is different. I will, I do think, and this is why if, if you notice in my coverage, uh, I don't use a lot of like, this is how a team performs against man. This is how a right. team performs in zone, either in those coverages or against those with Geno. Like, I don't use them a lot because. I don't trust a lot of these tracking sites to get it right. Like I've specifically seen a play charted as man, go click on the link, hyperlink, look at the play, and be like, oh, this is this is man to that side of the play. Yeah, those guys are actually in zone, so you get a lot of that. Sure. And some of these coverages now, particularly with all this motion stuff, like it changes the picture. You may have zone called, but if this it's like a if then then that yeah. type of situation. So I think we'll see a lot of that in. Okay, cool. This may be zone on this side, but hey, Reek, you're on, if you see your one on one on the backside of a trips and it's Cooper Cup and it's third and whatever, this is probably this route. So just man that, you know what I'm saying? Like there's some some situations like that. Yeah. So where the whole thing ain't cover one or cover zero or something like that. Uh, but it's it's a mix of zone and man. I could see a lot of that, which is good because they have the horses to do that. They could do that against a team's outside receiver. They could do that against a team's slot receiver. They could do that against a team that has a pass catching tight end as their number one. There's not a lot of those, but if a team has that, they're just equipped to man up or zone up against anybody if everyone stays healthy. It's right. like really crazy to see the diversity of skill sets they have right now. Well, we talked a lot about that leading up to the season, and then yeah, man. I mean, just just losing guys. Trey Brown goes down, Reek goes down, Kobe Bryant goes down, Jamal, you know take him a while to get back so you're you're right it's like there's what you can do in a perfect world and then there's what you actually have to do based on the circumstances given to you and those are often two different things and and more it's it's more often the latter than the former right i mean injuries just pile up and seattle's fortunate to be super deep and they added depth to the secondary this week you alluded to it at the top Talk to me about Jamal Adams and the impact he has on the team. I mean, not just schematically, but spiritually. Yeah, that last, the spiritual part is, is, is big, man, because football is, it's so much energy that goes into it. Whether, like, like I said, the guys are talking nasty to you or even like your confidence, especially with DBs. Like, if you commit a penalty that keeps you guys on the field on third down or get beat on a play, like, are you still confident to go right back out there? And make it happen or even if you just got a pick that helped can you go right back out there on the next drive and do it again so much just emotions in the in the game so many high leverage situations and jamal is just non-stop he's he's like a uh he's like a scrappy white guy you know uh he just has a high motor 
he doesn't get described as that much, but it, it, it kind of reminds me of like Max Crosby. Like Max just never comes off the field, which is insane for a DN. But like, there's a play. I think Joe Burrow scrambles for a lot of yards before ultimately just throwing it to like a tight end for like one yard or something like third and 10 or something. Oh, I kept waiting for there to be some big breakdown in the back end when he was moving around for like six seconds and there was nothing. Nothing. And you see that not on top of that, there was no breakdowns. Jamal covers, I think, according to Next Gen, I think he covers like 55 yards on that player or something. It was just like he starts high, comes low, comes across, comes back. It was just... In, insane and then makes the makes the play on Joe to you know get the QB hit or even that one-on-one tackle he has on third and 12 which is just a you love seeing that great form tackle versus when he got kicked in the head uh by Daniel Jones like all right cool he remembers how to tackle it's good or there's a play on the goal line where Jamal doesn't even tackle the ball carry he just levels their slot guy uh on a run play just yeah. puts his shoulder and I think number 16 and just smokes him and then just stands over the guy and yells at him like that that matters because it's nice to have that balance because Bobby's not really demonstrative like that. And Quandre is a little bit, but like, and, and Reek is a yeah, little Brooks bit. Yeah, Brooks too. Brooks kind of just like makes the play and he'll he'll flex a little bit, but he's he's not like super hype. No, and and it's good. Draymond Jones doesn't, he's not really, demo- like he doesn't have a sack dance or anything, but it's nice to have the balance of like a Jamal or a Spoon who's going make a tackle for two yards and then stand over the guy and let him know that he did it like that there's value in that particularly when you're a good player but also schematically they can do whatever they want with jamal like and that is that's exciting really important man he can play he can be the flat guy he can be the he can be the quarters safety take away some of those dig routes that have been killing them you know seahawks ain't been killed on the dig route a little bit they've kind of fixed that uh, but jamal is a big part of that uh, along with some other guys jamal can be the single high guy like he was on trey brown's interception he can blitz uh he can he can run blitz as well that's kind of how they've been able to uh defend the run so well with these light boxes they're just sometimes just blitzing gaps um with some of these guys bobby jordan whoever um jamal can just be anywhere and that gives him so much freedom elsewhere I, i've been waiting for him to have quandre be more involved in the action like there's a i love the play from quandre where uh he rolls down his third down like third and short like third and four first half uh and there's a, like a bunch to his side and one dude just sprints right by quandre he just doesn't move it looks like his controller battery runs out um because he's <laughs> got such a high iq he's like they're not about to throw it to number 16 it's third down if i got tyler boyd in front of me the ball goes to 83 what do you know ball goes right there 16's wide open, but Quandre knows ball, so he makes the play. Like you can have all that freedom. 33 kind of gives them that confidence. They got confidence and love too, but like Jamal's a different player. Like he yeah. just he just is. He can be deep. He can be he can play weak side linebacker on third down. Like I say, he could blitz, play the run, like the way he broke up that screen pass uh on Sunday. He can just do everything. And there's very few guys who can do everything who can rush the passer and cover 30 yards downfield to help out a deep ball or something like that. Like, yeah. It's Jamal is going to make this defense a lot better. There's, there's no wider gap in Seattle sports dialogue than how fans feel about Jamal versus yes. how the team feels about Jamal. Yes. These guys love this dude. And if you would just search Jamal Adams on Twitter, you'd see just some of the nastiest takes about him, which don't really make sense. Yeah, man. We've said that exact same thing on this show too, because I watched him play and I'm like, he's a baller. And then we have guys like yourself on the show 
And they're like, yeah, he's a baller. And everyone in that building knows he's a baller. And it's like, it's, it's nice to see it start to come together. And so now we got this defense playing with more juice than they've had in years. Looking forward, they get the Cardinals this week. And Mike texted me after the Bengals game saying, you know, this is a possible get right game for Seattle. They're eight point favorites at home. Don't get me wrong. Cardinals been feisty. They did beat the Cowboys. They've had a really rough stretch, like playing really good teams every single week so far. And they've been in it, you know, deep into the third quarter every time. And then outside of the Cowboys game, they just kind of, they, they run out of, you know, energy or, or talent or whatever at the end. But they're feisty, man. And they're playing hard. What, what are you kind of expecting from this game coming up on Sunday? I think the Seahawks have a chance to really blow these guys out. Like it's, it, there's, the matchup favors them in a lot of ways. Even if, if Buda Baker plays, that'll change it a little bit because I, I think really highly of Buda. He reminds me of Jamal, where it's like mm-hmm. you can ask Buda to do anything. You need Buda to cover 30 yards downfield, cover a tight end, blow up a screen pass, blitz. Like Buda can just do do anything. He can do it all except outrun DK to the end zone. Yeah, that was it. And it's crazy because Buda has track speed. You know, he was a joke. <laughs> no. He was like a real deal no. speedster at Bellevue High. Like he was he was legit. But uh yeah, the Cardinals, they have been really feisty, which has been surprising. Uh they beat Dallas because Dallas, like Seattle, is one of the worst red zone teams in the league. I think Dallas is actually worse than Seattle. Uh, yeah. the Eagles might be too. The Eagles, Cowboys, and Seahawks are very weird teams in that they're very good offenses very efficient and they get to the red zone and just wet the bed it's it, yeah. so that leaves you susceptible to lose to anybody um, including a cardinals team that's just lacking a little talent um but i think so much of this matchup favors the third down stuff they should be a lot better i think they're going to run the ball um a lot better the seahawks are a pretty good run team seahawks are like one of the best early down teams in the league so i could see them just having a couple drives where they don't even face a third down. They've had a few yep. of those uh, where they've scored touchdowns on drives where they never face a first, uh, excuse me, a third down. Uh, I think the de- the defense, I think we're about to see a stretch here that resembles 2021. There was a really good stretch. It was like Pittsburgh, New Orleans, Green Bay, and Washington, like in a row where they were just nails. Now the Seahawks, I think, yep. lost three of those. Might have lost all of them. Um, but they were nails in all of them. Yeah, they did actually lose all of those games I just mentioned. But you look at what the offense scored. The offense scored zero in one of those. It scored like 10 uh, in that Saints game. They scored, I think, 20 uh, in the Steelers game and lost that one in overtime because Geno got strip-sacked by T.J. Watt. Like, the defense has been really solid, has had these stretches where it's like, wait a minute, do we have the best defense in the league? Now, that can't be the case this year because the Browns are just existing in a different stratosphere currently. But outside of the Browns, yeah, the Seahawks might really turn up here. You might have a stretch where no team completes like a a ball over a certain yardage against these guys because they're just so locked in. I think this game might start off pretty even, and then the Cardinals OC might look up, look on his play sheet in like the middle of the third quarter and be like, Guys, we're we're out of plays that are gonna work. So (laughs) we just kinda just gotta just draw something up in the sand. Um, because the Seahawks have become really good on defense, that is, in finding the answers. And sometimes that does involve a lot of chemistry because you can draw up whatever, but sometimes you might need Quandre to just tell Julian Love, like, hey, I know what the play says, but just watch out for this right quick because I think based on film, they might run that. Boom, it's a PBU. Like, they already naturally are bringing in some of that because they got the talent and then they got really extinctual guys like Bobby who's seen it all. 
Quandre, who's seen it all, Jamal, who's seen a lot of ball, and then Devin Witherspoon, who ain't played that much ball, but knows just how to jump stuff and time stuff. Like it's, I could see it getting very 21 stretchy here where they're just nails. I mean, Green Bay had like three points going in the fourth quarter of that game they lost in 2021. That was a really right. good Green Bay team, and they were just nails in Lambo. Like I think yeah. we may see some stretches like that again from this team. Uh, they're going to be tested later, like Dallas, San Fran, Philly. But until then, I think we're going to see some really good ball from the defense. Well, and, and you know, I mean, one of the things that fans tend to do, and, like, I've been guilty of this in the past. I Frankly, I think it's one of the weakest arguments out there is, you know, if someone has a good game and you, you can kind of diminish it by saying, yeah, oh, yeah, well, well, it was against it was against the Cardinals, right? Like, don't really matter that much. Man, you're performing at a high level – in an NFL game, there's momentum that comes from that. There's juice that comes from that that you carry forward. You're putting good tape on, and then you're spending all week watching that tape of yourself performing at a high level. You're not, you know, these players aren't, you know, if, if Seattle goes out and they ball out, like we're all hoping they do against Arizona, and let's say they win by three scores, they're not going to be like, wow, oh, well, we only did it against Arizona. Like, it don't really mean that much. Like, you put good tape out there. You play well, you get the coaches feeling good about how you're performing, that carries over. Yeah, and there's something to be said for the process, right? And how you get it done. Like, why did you make a team look that bad? Oh, well, because we watched on film that this is how they like to attack the weak spots in our primary coverages. So here's how we adjusted and shut them down. That matters no matter who you play. That, that matters whether you're playing the worst team in the league or the 2013 Broncos. Teams have ways to attract, attack the holes in your coverages and your, your fronts. If you adjust accordingly and stop that, that it, that matters no matter what. And being right on tape, being right on game day, that's always going to matter. The process is always going to be important in that regard. Like, And sometimes you have to ca- uh, put a caveat on stuff. I only do that usually when the other team has a lot of backup linemen. Because yep. that really, that, that'll just crater anybody. Totally. Um, they've, they've, they've had some games against Kyler where he's had like his backup center. I think one year he had like his third string center and he had like six sacks. It's like, okay, I I, I can get, you You do got to put that with a grain of salt. Like this year, any team that plays the Giants, you put a little grain of salt on there because they're, they're putting guys up there up front who just have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and that, you like all those sacks that they had. You had 11 sacks. Well, why? Because they yeah. were putting future XFL All-Stars on, on the field on Monday Night Football. Like that, that makes sense. Other than like down to third string linemen or something, I'm pretty like, all right, an NFL team is an NFL team, right. generally speaking. I don't really care who the quarterback is because these quarterbacks can ball. This team has lost to Colt McCoy twice. Um, you know, like it's, I don't, I don't care who the quarterback is. PJ Walker just beat the uh, Niners, right? Like my thing, I only really do the grain of salt thing when you got like third string center, third string tackles. I think Dwight Freeney had a game for these guys in 2017 where he had like three sacks or something like that. And they were all against like the Washington football team's third string left tackle. Right. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that though sometimes I will put the caveat there. But other than that, no. You have to go out there and execute and you gotta be right on tape. Just like they were right on tape against the Bengals, they were right on tape against the Giants. There's a reason that both teams had trouble scoring, right? One's a high octane offense that dripped dropped the 30 ball and then couldn't move the ball. Uh you know, I guess the Seahawks. The Bengals' only drive that scored in, in the game on Sunday was zero yards. It is yeah. zero-yard scoring drive. Come on, man. That's that's legit. I don't care who you play. Um, so, yeah, I think 
I don't do the I don't do the grain of salt thing with anybody. I don't do that with the offense either. Um, right. If you light up a team like because uh, usually even the third string defensive end can get to the quarterback. So I really actually never really um, caveat a good offensive performance. Thank you. You know, for the most part, you'll see some backup safeties get busy too. You never really know. So I mean, look at the Jets and the way they just handled Philly. They were down pretty much every corner that we know the name of, and then they were all over Jalen Hurts. So. I don't. I don't. Uh, my only grain of salt thing is the O line. Other than that, when you That's go out fair. there and whip some ass, you whip some ass. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's step back a little bit. Looking at the rest of the season, just taking it as a whole. You know, obviously we keep talking about it, they're going to have that crazy stretch November, December coming up. But till then, they got they got opportunities to stack some wins here. Even with that loss on Sunday, have your opinions of this team's chances to accomplish their goals changed because of that? I'm a little worried about the offense and the situational stuff because the numbers and the film usually will bear this out too. The numbers generally regress. If you're a really good early down team and you're a really bad third down or obvious passing down team, it'll usually regress a little bit since early down is usually more indicative of who you are. But I'm waiting for that to happen and it hasn't. Uh, And this goes back to last year too a little bit. So I'm like, all right, guys, you got a whole offseason to fix this. You've had this season to kind of work this out. You've already had your bye week to work this out, and it's this is still trending. I'm not feeling super great about that, and I'm a big situational guy because situational stuff is when your star power starts to matter quite a bit. I think that was really evident in those Niners losses last year. Like When it was yeah. time for the stars to show up, the Seahawks had some star players, but the other team had more. And not only did they have them, they played like it. Like Debo played like an all-pro. Christian McCaffrey played like an All-Pro. Trent Williams played like an All-Pro. Nick Bosa played like it. Hafunga played like it. Um, and the Seahawks have those guys, not as many as the no one has as many as the Niners. But the Man, Seahawks, the truth. damn right now, they got some guys like the the in the, the games against those tougher teams, the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys. They're just going to need their stars to play like stars, and a lot of that is situational. I'm pretty confident in the defense. But I would like to see the offense win on third down. Like after a while, we you can't just make the excuse like, all right, we're not blocking well. All right, well, you gotta work around and get the ball out, get better at the screens, start taking advantage of teams aggressive when they blitz you, because like the Niners have stars on D. And when it's third and seven and you need a bucket, and none of that complaining shit matters. You gotta get the first down by any means. Um, same thing with the Cowboys. It's third and eight. You backed up, you're down four with two minutes left. Hey man, block Micah Parsons. You don't really no excuses. Block Micah Parsons. You know, beat Stephon Gilmore. You, you have to do these things. Yeah. Same thing when you play Philly. Block Hassan Reddick when it's third and nine and you need a bucket. Um, you know, make a play on Darius Slay, James Bradbury. All these things are very star driven to me. Um, in these one on one situations. So I need them to be better in that for me to feel like they can go anywhere beyond like the divisional round. But yeah, right now I think they're a pretty clear wild card team i think of the teams who don't lead their divisions seattle's like probably the best one yeah uh, right now them and them and dallas are like right there so yeah i could right now they're in position for like a five or a six seed most likely which is what were they last year the seven yeah it, it feels about right for me to feel any better about them going further than that they'd have to be much better situation i'd say I got to think the development of Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to help with that though, too. Like we're, we're seeing the strides, you know, his, his box score production increases each week, but you can also just see it watching. He's getting a little bit better feel. I mean, P. Carroll said it like dude's 
playing with a recently broken arm, right? Like, I mean, he's he's still feeling his way through the NFL game, but I mean, look, Gino hits him on that game winner. There's no more questions right. about JSN. We were talking. We're saying he's arrived, right? All of a sudden, instead of 48 yards, he's got 95 yards and a touchdown and the game winner. And it's like, oh, he's here. He's here. The fact that he didn't isn't because he didn't make that play, right? So I feel like I'm starting to see from JSN what we've been hoping for. And I got to think that's going to help the situational stuff. Yeah, that will. Getting Abe Lucas back when they do. Will, because to to Geno's credit, I like this about um, him versus even some guys who have better numbers like a Jalen Hurts. Like Geno stands in there and he will scan that pocket. He's going to trust his protection. If if the if the play call requires that he stand in there and throw, he will stand in there and throw. Not every guy does that. You see a lot of one read and I'm out of there type of guys. Even the high level guys, you know, you'll you'll see a Jalen Hurts or even a Josh Allen do some stuff like that. Um, Gino is not like that. He'll stand in there, try to get to read number three, uh, and and throw. So yeah, I think the JSN thing. I was so happy to see him on Sunday run routes that broke inward because there were a couple plays where he's getting targeted on stuff that even if he did catch it would go nowhere. You know, he had one against the Panthers that got broke up on the sideline on third down. That even if he catches it, he's short of the sticks and he's out of bounds. Just a double whammy. He dropped one against the Rams that if he catches it, he's short of the sticks. And out of bounds. Gino almost got picked throwing a Jackson against the Lions. Now, even if Jackson catches it, he's probably short of the goal line and out of bounds. It was just like, I was like, looking at the film over the bye league. I'm like, Shane, what are you doing? Like, have him run yeah. the other way. It's almost like just put the finger up like a guy hitchhiking. Well, that's where he ate in college, too, man. Like, he killed dudes up the seam and over the middle. Yeah, and then you see it a little bit more. Like I mentioned, the dig route earlier that he ran. I think that was in the first half. Mm-hmm. That third and 13 ball where he's catching it and running towards the, the defense. Like, he's another guy who's not afraid to go over the middle. So, yeah, I think they need to be using stuff like that more often. You know, like, even the ball he caught in the preseason that he broke his wrist on, like, that's fine, but I like him on stuff that was like an over route towards the sideline. I like him running that the other way where you catch it in the middle of the field maybe or something like that that have even more room to run. He had a lot of room on that one, kind of, kind of how he caught it and turned up, but he's such a good guy. Well, you, man, you mentioned, I mean, small sample size, you mentioned his yak numbers. Like That's where, that's where he did his business yes. in college when he was like rewriting records you know, at, at Ohio State. I said, I say it at least once a month. Dude had 340 yards in the Rose Bowl at 19 years old. Like we're we're talking about a crazy talent and here. He, he catches the ball in a way that allows him to run after the catch. Like there yes. is an art to that. I mean, I don't play a lot of Madden, but it looks like Madden has kind of adjusted to that. And a few times I've been at the homie's house, like I'm like, what is this possession receiver button? Um, you know, versus <laughs> like a there's like a yak button now for like the user catches. Yes, because there is something to that. There is something to like, all right, I can catch this ball on my stomach, or I can go up and get this, or I need to go low and get this, or I can catch this on the run. Like Jackson has a really good uh, feel for that. I mean, Seahawks fans can see the difference. Watch Jackson catch it versus Tyler catch it. Now, yeah. Neither way is wrong, but like Tyler catches the ball in a way that positions him to just get whatever is required and then get down. Jackson naturally kind of catches it like, yo, I'm about to go try to score real quick. Even if he doesn't, like he got body slammed on one of them. But he he was trying to go score on the play. He got body slammed. So I think Jackson, he just is natural. He it's, it looks so natural when he does it. And there's no way in hell he shouldn't be used more often. But I mean, I will say this to be fair to Shane. Jackson leads the 
Seahawks and third down targets. So like he sees it. No shit. Like it, it's yeah, he, uh, I believe he does. He did going into that game, and I think he still does. So that's awesome. Like he, he, that's exactly what should happen. As much as I love DK and Tyler, JSN is going to have a mismatch more often on third down than those guys. I think we can all agree on that because of the attention Tyler and and DK like command. Jackson's going to have either the third corner or a safety or a linebacker on him. Throw it to him and, and let him get busy. Yeah, man, that that's exciting to hear because. We had we had our boy Danny O'Neill on for our season preview episode, and you know I said I think the two fulcrums for this team are going to be Jamal Adams and Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it's encouraging that we're seeing that come to fruition. You know whether it can continue to progress throughout the season obviously remains to be seen, but like to me, you get those two guys going, it unlocks everything else for both sides of the ball. Yeah, you get it. The, the day. When they play some of these tougher teams, even the Browns, to be honest, um, whose defenses are the worldly, if they can get a JSN game the same day they get a Jamal Adams game, they will win handily. It doesn't matter yep. who it is. Because a, a Jamal Adams game, if he has one, like a podium-worthy, like, oh, my God, 33 was the best player on the field, kind of think of like that clowny game that he had in 2019 against the Niners. Like, yeah. Jamal has one of those. Yeah, the five sack. Yeah, and then JSN has one of those at the, on the same day. That's how you beat the Cowboys on, on, it's on Thursday Night Football. It's going to happen. That's how you beat the Niners on Thanksgiving. You know, that's how you beat Philly uh, at home. That's what it's going to take because those teams are so loaded. So I, I don't know if that'll happen on the same day. That's like a pipe dream type thing, but it's there. Or even get a spoon game and I a, bet we and see. A I bet we see it at least once. It, oh yeah, it's yeah. It's, there's so many combinations. You could just pick an offensive player and a defensive player, and if they both go off at the same time, you're like the Seahawks win this game. Ken Walker game and a Quandre game. You know, like it's just so many right. possibilities. A Draymond Jones game and a you know a, a Noah Fant game or something. There's just they they have a guy capable at every position group. Uh, it feels like to have a podium game, and I guarantee that has not been the case <laughs> in recent no in, no, in that, recent years. That right there is probably the most exciting thing about this team this year. It's like we've been seeing them put the pieces together over the last two three years, and now it feels like okay, now we got the build right. We got the pieces here. Now let's see how well we can play chess. We got all the pieces on the board. Yeah, we just got to be healthier up front because there really isn't. I mean, look around the league. Teams that are losing linemen are in trouble. Yeah, like it is. Yep. It That's... is. It is tough because there are far more talented backup pass rushers than there are backup linemen. Yeah, that... like, that's just the, <laughs> the numbers just bear that out, and it ain't close. So yeah, and that ain't going to change can either. Just, no, and it's it's not. Yeah, so it, like from the lower levels, little league all the way up, like it's just it's kind of how it is filtering up. So if these guys just stay healthy up front. It should all come around. I'm really high on Clint as a coordinator. I'm not as high on on, on Shane um, as much. I think it's like Shane's good, um, but like they have the coaches. I don't think they need better coaches than the two they got. Yeah. Um, the two they have, I'm, I'm feel pretty good about their ceilings. So, yeah, they they got it. Just got to stay healthy, um, and, and manage, and manage some of the situational stuff, and they'll they'll be okay and have their stars show up when the other team stars show up because. The Seahawks have a bunch of good players, really good players. Some of these other teams have some dudes. Yeah. Like even playing the Browns, Miles Garrett is built like an action figure. Yeah. Like you you gotta handle that. Like when you when you see He might him. be the so, best football player in the league this year. Yeah, he he is that's a tough one because I'm a big Nick Bosa guy too. Yeah. Um but and TJ Watt. TJ Watt is a yeah, 
Jesus Christ. But to your point, they all, all those dudes play the same position. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's it. That's it. So yeah, they got to get healthy up front. Listen, man, it is always a blast having you in here. Your recall is crazy. It's one of the things I appreciate about you. You don't just say some things, you say some things and you're like, like this play that happened four years ago. So one of the things I look forward to most about having you in here, man. Thank you so much for your time. Oh yeah, man. And like I said, anytime, make time for you guys, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. It means the world to us. Before we go, where can the people get more of you? And just follow me on whatever Elon Musk is calling that thing these days. Um, <laughs> you can get everything there. Our podcast is there. Um, when all my stuff on the athletic is just my author page is in the link that's in my bio. So if you just follow me, I tweet all my stories too. But if you're ever just like, Mike, write something today, just go to my page. Boom, everything I've it's must read, is, man, is, is up there. So like like Jackson says, I t- I I go deep for references because I'm I'm watching so much ball and looking up so much stuff that I can just I see I see what it's supposed to look like, whether I'm watching other teams yeah. or I'm watching the Seahawks. So like I know. When I when I mention some of these other players and how these other games and these other moments, yeah, there's a way that this is supposed to look like. I see Pete's vision, the evil genius that he is. Yeah, you, man, you do. You put it together, I see it. I you see do. It. All right, you heard it. The Athletic, Twitter, Seahawks Man to Man. Go get yourself some more MSD in your lives. All right, y'all. That's going to do it for today. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can catch full video episodes on our YouTube channel as well, at Cigar Thoughts. And find the rest of our socials at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article after each game at FieldGoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating leave us a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thought cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy those cigars, reach out and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life and it is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime... Onwards and upwards, my friends.